So, uh, good morning. How, how are you guys? Are you okay today? Everybody all right? You seem a little subdued. Is there... That's better. Okay. Uh, with the happy birthday, you were kind of boisterous, but there were, uh, other than that, you So, be happy. M- most of, many of you probably have heard at some point, uh, there's an old story. It's, it's been used numerous times in, in illustrating things. Uh, the gal, this woman, was cooking the ham for Easter, and she cut the ends off the ham. You ever hear that? And her daughter says, why do you cut the ends off the ham? And she goes, well, you know, because my mom always cut the ends off the ham, so that's why I do. And she goes, oh, that's funny. So she calls her mom, and she says, you know, hey, why do you cut the ends off the ham? And she says, well, I always cut the ends off the ham because the roasting pan I had was too small, and it wouldn't fit. (laughs) So, you know, there's really no reason for that other than that's the way it had always been done. So as silly of a little story as that is, it actually illustrates, I think, a powerful, powerful truth, which is that very often in the course of life, many of us in different contexts, we will believe certain things and then act on that. We do certain things based on our beliefs, and we don't really know why. We don't really know why. Very often... If you really get down to it, when you ask somebody, why do you do this this way? One of, the, one of the most common answers I hear is, well, that's the way we've always done it. And um, sad, sadly, and, and really, I mean, on some levels, tragically, th- that reality is carried into our relationship with God. And sometimes we... We behave, we act certain ways in our relationship with God based on beliefs that we hold that we're not even sure why we do and may or may not even be very real. They, they, they might be kind of like cutting the ends off the ham. It's just something that we saw and observed and, 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 and learned and just sort of did and, and, and we don't, don't know why. There are Christians today, I think, you know, who believe and practice things that might be based on something other than the Bible, really. They're based on just a behavior that has been passed down from generation to generation. Now, I'm going to qualify what I'm saying right now. Look, I, I, I don't have the corner on the market for biblical truth. Um, I do not have it all figured out. So we'll just clarify that up front. Far be it from me to really, you know, try to correct or be critical of, of anybody. I do, though, I, I have a very strong commitment uh, and value for the kingdom of God. And something I've observed is, by and large, acro- across the board today, uh, particularly, you know, here in our country and sort of the Western culture, the teaching of the kingdom of God and the, the under uh, overarching sort of theme of the kingdom of God that's so clear to me in the Bible isn't really taught very often. It's really, the Bible's taught with, with sort of a, a somewhat different perspective. And so I will always wave that flag. You guys, I think, know that. I'm going to always be an advocate for kingdom theology and for the kingdom of God to be the thing that motivates how we walk out and work out our relationship with God. So that really is... Uh, why over the last uh, couple months I've been doing this little series we've been in called God is Love. Um, so today what I want to do, and I'm going to try, I'm going to, this is, 
I'm going to try to recap the whole series. I'm going to do a little review. It's eight weeks of teaching. There's no way we can possibly uh, cover everything. So it's going to be kind of fast and furious. But just go with me on this, okay? Um, I, I would encourage you, if you have missed uh, any of that or not been here, you can listen to that. It's on podcast. Uh, just log into your iTunes account and Google, uh, go to podcast, Portland Vineyard. It'll pop up. It's all there. Uh, if you don't have an iTunes account, one, it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Just sign up, do it, and, and you can hear me. It's wonderful. Um, if you uh, would like, the series, they're, they're not all titled. Sometimes it's just the date. But I began this series back on January 6th. So if you go back to January 6th, will be the beginning of God is Love. There's a couple in there that are not me. Uh, they're okay, too. Um, no, honey, yours is really good. Yours is better than mine. I know, I know. And the kids were good, too. So are the kids on there, by the way? Did we get? No, we didn't get the kids. Okay, so forget them. Um, the other thing that I'm going to do today in recapping this series really is sort of set us up for what's happening next. And Darlene mentioned that Steve and Janie will be with us the next few weeks teaching on um, changing the world through kindness. And, and I just to me, it's a natural progression. If God is love and we embrace that love in our lives, then, well, we should be loving too. We should be nice. Be nice, okay? Uh, some of you guys, many of you are familiar with Steve's teaching and, and his sort of uh, platform. Some of you might not be. If you're not, man, this is a famous person right here. How many? You see, you have 20 books, 25 books. How many? 15. Oh, okay. I'll just say 25. I'll just go with that. If you may, okay, next week, buy the books. Uh, I would encourage you, if you are not familiar with servant evangelism or any of that whole thing, uh, Conspiracy of Kindness was the very first book, and now there's a 15th anniversary edition. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you say yes. Just agree with me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, read that book. You know, here's the thing about these books. They make you cry when you read them. And I like books that make me cry. And so every time I read one, it makes me cry. I told him that he gave me his newest book. I'm reading his newest book right now, Heaven's Lessons, 10 Things I Learned About God When I Died. And if you want to know more about that, you've got to pick it up and read it. But Steve gave me a copy, and I went to Starbucks and started reading it, and I started crying. And I hate that. I like crying with books, but only at home, not at Starbucks. Um, so it's great stuff. It's great stories. It's, 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 it's God's heart being poured out. So they'll be with us, and, and so today we're going to kind of and God is love and transition into now we're, we're God's love. Uh, so let's start by praying, and I'm going to pray the prayer uh, that's recorded for us in Ephesians chapter 3 because it's a prayer uh, to know God's love. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. So um, our series is God is Love. And uh, I, I, like I said, I'm going to pretty rapidly go through and kind of just review some of the key points from that. The title of the series comes, of course, uh, from probably one of the most profound verses in the Bible, 1 John 4, 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. The first thing I said back in the beginning of this series is that that almost sounds too good to be true. 
You know, if you, uh, that old saying, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And you all, anybody that's ever watched late night TV and you see these great deals and you buy one and then you get it and it's a piece of crap, you go, it sounded too good to be true. And it, it was. Uh, so that's our mentality. We really don't buy into those things that sound too good to be true. But in truth, that's an apt description of the love of God. I don't know how many people I've talked to in the course of my pastoral ministry, 30 years or so now, hundreds of people, hundreds of people that have said something to the effect of, I I just don't know how God could love me. I mean, I talk to people that believe God could love everybody else, but not me. You know, it's, I just, I am such a low life, scum-sucking dirtbag. I'm the worst person on the planet, you know, and I don't know how God could love me. It's just, it's so hard to get in touch. I've done bad, bad things, and I I keep doing bad things, and I try to do good things, and I do bad things, and I just don't know how God could be that gracious, and that kind, and that caring, and that forgiving, and, and that loving. But it's true. It's true. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, where you've come from. God still loves you. He still reaches out. He still wants to hold you close, wants to draw you. Like Wally said this morning, he wants to draw you up in his lap and hold you. And sometimes when you've been bad, that's really what you need, right? Sometimes we need a little discipline, but sometimes we just need God to put his arms around us and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And that's the truth. That's who God is. He, He... he, he is love, and that was our second point, is that this is a noun, not a verb. God is loving, God loves, yes, but no, beyond that, God is love. His very character, his nature is love, and because of that, it's virtually impossible for God to stop loving you because of something that you've done. That would mean, that would require God to stop being God. He would have to be something other than God to stop loving you. That's what uh, we, the scripture calls the scandal of the cross. And we talked about that, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. But the, the point simply is that at times, it's unbelievable the love that God has. And another key verse we used in our series was, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Paul, Paul tells us uh, that while we were still sinners, he did that. While we're still, here's the thing. I, I think most of us, you, you know, if you, when you think God couldn't love me because I'm, I, you know, I, I mess up or I sin, whatever. Here, here's the deal. If if we think if we if, if we think that God loves us because we're good, we think God loves us because we do the right things. We're flattering ourselves. Really, you 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 can't be good enough. You can't do good enough. You you really can't. None of we all fall short, right? Nobody can write. So when we think that, it's, we're just really flattering ourselves. There's nothing we can do to earn God's love. It's already there for us. But likewise, uh, you know, on the other side of the coin is, nothing we can do to really disqualify ourselves from that love. Nothing we can do to disqualify ourselves from God's love. We, we defined love. Remember I told you there were, you know, we have one word love, and we use it for multiple things. And usually when you say you love something, only the context really tells us what we really mean. In other words, if I say I love pizza, uh, that means one thing. If I say I love my wife, hopefully that means another thing, right? 
I, it does. It does. I mean, I love her. I love pizza. I do love pizza, but not in the same way. It's very different. Um, the Greek New Testament, there are four words for love, and we talked about those four words. But uh, rather than go over those again, what I, what I really just want to point out is this is how we define the love of God, the agape love of God for us, is that it's others-oriented, self-sacrificial, choice-based love. It's not like any other love. It's certainly not like uh, the love that we see portrayed very often in the movies or, you know, that we sometimes hear about in music. Uh, those are nice. Some of them are not so nice. Uh, it's not like the love that, that many of us have experienced in our lives and now project onto God. Sometimes we've been told, I love you, and then that person leaves. Or, I love you, and that person abuses you. Or, I love you, and that person is not around very much. They're absentee. And we sometimes feel that same way about God, but his love is very, very different. It's really completely, totally focused on others, the others being us. Um, it is self-sacrificial. God really does put us before himself and sacrifices himself on our behalf. And it's choice-based. It's his decision to, to love us that way. Um, that led us to the next point in our series, which really was the key. This is the, this is the hinge the whole thing hangs on, and that is that, that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. When you want to know, there's, there's sometimes we wrestle in our minds with what is God really like, and I will, I will acknowledge there, there can be, it's easy to be confused, especially when you read the Old Testament and you sort of see a different side of God, and then you see Jesus, and you go, man, how does that line up? That just... And, and sometime in the future, when I feel like I'm a little better qualified, I'm actually going to attack that issue and talk about that. So I will do that, I promise you, but I don't know when. Um, I don't feel like I have a good enough handle on it, really, to do it right now. I do feel like I have a good enough handle on the reality that if we want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. If you, if you want to know what is God really like, you look to Jesus. Bible says Jesus is the word of God. It tells us that he is the image of God. He is the form of God. He is the way, the truth, and life. He's not a way, one way. He's not some truth. Uh, he's not a part of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We look at Jesus, we see God. Um, he's God incarnate, God in human form. He really is the whole enchilada, or as the writer of Hebrews puts it, the exact representation of God. The exact representation of God. Or again, as Paul puts it in Colossians, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And we kind of went over that, broke it down word by word. It's all, not some, all the fullness, not the partness, of the deity. And I told you the Greek word there is testeatetos, which means God, the God. All the fullness of the God lives in bodily form. So again, the point of the whole last half of the series was that Jesus is God. If we want to know what God's like, we look at Jesus. When you see Jesus, you see God. We also talked a little bit about the difference between, uh, we had one, one message called covenant love, and the difference between covenant and contract. And while they have some similarities, and sort of appear the same. They're, they're really quite, quite different. Um, we, uh, we're doing a little bit of work in our family room at home right now, 
And so we hired a contractor to do that work. Contractor being the, the key term there because we have a contract with him. He came over to our house and he brought some papers with him. And on those papers, it outlined what work he would do for us. And next to each item that he's going to do was the cost of that item. And when we, he showed that to us, we went over it and then we signed the contract. So we have now a legally binding contract. Um, it, 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 it's, it's a conditional, an if-then agreement, meaning if I do this work, you will pay me. If I don't do this work, I, if he doesn't do the work, I don't have to pay him. Conversely, if he does do the work and I don't pay him, then I'm in trouble. I am then in breach of the contract. And because it's a legally binding agreement, if he were to do the work and I did not pay him, then he could take me to court. The law would say, hey, wait a minute. The guy did the work. You have to pay him. So, it, so it's, a, it's based on law. It is uh, conditional. Uh, a covenant, on the other hand, is unconditional. We said that the best example of a covenant we have in our culture today is a marriage. And when you get married, you, you say vows to one another, right? And they, they go something like this usually, uh, in sickness or in health, for richer or for poor. Um, what's the other one? Richer and poor? For better, oh, or for worse. Good night. And how long does it last? Is it over at the end of the term? No, till death do us part. It's not based on law at all. You don't sign anything. It's based on love. At the end of a contract, you, when you come to an agreement, you sign the contract, but in a covenant, what do you do? See, it's way more fun. You kiss. You kiss. You seal the covenant with a kiss. Uh, so here the point of that is simply that I think because we live in a contract law-based society, some folks today have sort of reduced their relationship with God to a contract. They've made it a really if sort of relationship. If I do these things, God will do these things for me. If I don't do these things, then God won't do those things. And we really tend to view our relationship with God that way, which is, which is sad. It's sad. Because God never intended it to be a contract. He, he always intended it to be a contract, a covenant. Let me, let me, I'll just say this. In a contract, the best you can hope for is a good deal, right? When you sign a contract, no matter what you're doing, if you're buying something, buying a house, buying a car, having work done, whatever, you, you want a good deal, right? That's what you want. The best you can hope for in a contract is a good deal. Uh, relationship with God is not a good deal, okay? It is a radical transformation of your heart and your life. The love of God will transform you from the inside out. It's so far beyond a good deal, it's not even in the same universe. It's, it's, it puts every good deal you've ever got to shame. The next, uh, the next little section in our series, um, oh, I forgot a couple things about Jesus as the visible face of God, and then our next section was on the power of love. And um, I didn't want you to think about that. Right? Okay, that's enough. Turn it off. No, I'm not uh, yeah, I didn't want you to think about that because that just destroys the whole image. Uh, 
Wow, now, man. Must be time to go. Uh, the point of this message was the difference in the way that power is viewed culturally, historically, humanly, and the way power is exemplified in the life of Christ. Uh, our, our, our text was in 1 Corinthians. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. The, the cross was the ultimate display of God's power, and yet we see it, or through the natural eye, it's seen as foolishness. In the world, power is dominant. It's overbearing. It takes control. And that's how we view power. And that's the way that people really believe today and have historically believed largely that Jesus was. You remember when, when Christ came, everyone, his disciples on down, believed he was going to ride into Jerusalem on a white horse. He was going to overthrow the evil Roman government. He was going to establish Israel as their rightful place as the people of God. And, and everybody was going to live happily ever after. He didn't do that. Instead, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He allowed them to arrest him, mock him, beat him, and crucify him. Instead, he went to the cross. Everything about the life of Jesus, not just his death, but throughout his life, he established his power by loving, serving, and caring for others and we pointed that out very clearly in John 13, which I think is a tremendous passage. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And here's the key verse. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And because Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet. And I said to you, and I'll say it again, that's power. When you have the confidence to know who you are, to such a degree that in the face of arrest, mockery, beating, and crucifixion, you decide to wash the feet your followers. That's power. Even uh, as his dying act, Jesus demonstrated power not by defeating his tormentors, not by um, overpowering his tormentors, but instead what did he do? He forgave them. He forgave them. I uh, I finished this series up on Easter, and basically the Easter message was this. Because of the resurrection of Christ, and this really is the transition into our next series, because of the resurrection of Christ, his kingdom has been established. It's not full, it's not complete, and I use the illustration of spring. Spring is sprung. It's kind of cold and rainy today. It doesn't feel very spring-like, but it is. And because spring has sprung, because the kingdom has come, because his presence is with us, in us, and working through us, the time of waiting is over. And we need to begin to uh, act like it's spring. We need to get out. We need, we need, we need to uh, begin to live like kingdom people, to respond like kingdom people, to love like kingdom people, to do the things Christ has given us and set before us to do. 
And that's what we'll begin talking about next week. But for right now, let's go ahead and stand up. And I just want to close with prayer. Would uh, Where's John? Is John around? There he is. I see him. Is he in the middle of a row, man? What are you doing over there? Come on. I want to pray, and then we'll take a minute and just uh, pray for one another, or pray for those that need prayer. If I could get our ministry team folks to kind of come on up while John gets his guitar on. Lord, uh, I just pray today that you would make yourself known to us again and, and show us not only you love us and care for us, but that you want to bring your love to others through us. I think there's some of us here who, some of you guys have wanted that. You've been longing for that, and maybe even recently uh, you'd sort of forgotten that, but now you want that again. You've been maybe even praying for God to begin to show you how he can use you and what you can do. So as we just close in worship, if that's the case, I want you to come up and just let somebody pray for you. Okay?